Anybody? A little bit? So, um, um, I get up every morning and I, I talk to the Lord as I'm getting ready. And I uh, have a little breakfast and rush out the door. And by the time I get to the church, I get back on my knees and I confess my sin from being frustrated with traffic. So, um, um, it's a stronghold in my life. God's given me victory over it took us almost an hour to get to church this morning, and uh, coming down eight, so <laughs> it's everywhere. You can't get away from it. But uh, you know, it's it's a, it's a first world problem, I guess, of sorts. And if it's the worst thing we have to worry with, trust me, there's Christians in the Middle East who are fearful for their lives. So just it's always good to keep a proper perspective. Let's stand for the reading of God's word tonight. Second Thessalonians, chapter one. And we're going to begin with the first four verses. The goal will be tonight to get through. The entire book. The Bible says there, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each one aboundeth. Take special attention to verse 4. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Tonight we're going to look at this topic, working while watching. Working while watching. Let's pray. God, tonight would you help us as we uh, do our best to understand this book. We are so thankful that you have saved us. Uh, Thankful that you have uh, called us to a great work. And, Lord, would we uh, stay focused on that, and may we uh, make sure that while we're waiting for you to return, we're doing your work in the process. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. When I was a boy growing up, my uh, grandparents would come to visit us from Michigan once a year. And my grandparents passed away uh, shortly after Matthew was born, so my whole life I got to enjoy trips from grandma and grandpa driving down to see us and they lived in Michigan and until I was 13 we lived in Mississippi they would drive all the way from Michigan to Mississippi and it'd take them a long time and there were other family along the way they'd stop and see but uh, I can I always one of the fondest memories I have from my childhood and no matter where we lived uh, uh, Mississippi Alabama and then Maryland were the days that grandma and grandpa were going to arrive and, uh, you, you know, for a week, you're counting down the days like to Christmas that they're coming. And uh, then the day came, and all day at school, especially as a third or fourth grade boy, it's, uh, it's uh, Grandma and Grandpa are coming today. Grandma and Grandpa are coming today. And uh, the, you get to the end of the school day, and you see your parents, are, are Grandma and Grandpa here yet? Well, no, they're not quite here yet. They're coming. And, you know, this is before cell phones, and my grandparents probably wouldn't own one anyway, but this is before cell phones were really a popular thing, especially when I was a little boy. And so, you know, um, it was a guessing game as to when they'd arrive. They'd tell you the night before, and you didn't know about traffic or stops and those kind of things. And, and you'd get home, and, and my mom and dad had chores for us around the house. And so uh, my mom and dad would catch us looking out the window instead of doing our chores. And we were watching for the car to pull in the driveway so we could just go and tackle them and you know, try to take a couple of years off their life loving on them. But um, I can still remember my mother and my father saying, Richard, 
what are you doing? And I'd say, I'm waiting for Grandma to get here. And my dad would say, you can work while you watch. You can work while you watch. You get the chores done. Is your homework done? Well, no, but I'm watching for Grandma. You can work while you watch. You can work while you watch. Now, I don't know about you. But more than I'm looking forward to my grandparents having pulled up, I am looking forward for the day that Jesus comes back to the clouds and the trumpet blows. How many have a struggle in your life right now? You can't wait to set the side in heaven. I'm there. I'm there. I've got private struggles and I've got, um, um, I've got relational struggles and I've got, uh, uh, you know, other concerns in my life. Um, Concerns for others, concerns for, for, for distant family members. And if Jesus would just come back, that would just take care of a whole lot of things. You say, well, pastor, are you really... Some people don't want Jesus to come back right now because, you know, like, like when I was engaged, I didn't want Jesus to come back. I'm just going to be honest. I had this nightmare that, I was, that Angela was going to be walking down the center aisle. And right before I took her hand in marriage, the trumpet was going to blow and we were going to come up hither and... That was going to ruin that, right? Uh, and that's a carnal, shallow way of thinking. But I, I, at that point in my life, that's the way I was thinking. Lord, wait till I've been married a couple years, maybe had a kid or two, and then you can come back. But I've gotten to a place in my life where I just want Jesus to come back, and I can't wait. I can't, I can't wait for that day, and I have to wait. But I, the, the expression, I can't wait, I'm, I'm really excited about that. But while we're waiting for Jesus to return, we need to be busy working. Now... The, uh, the climate was quite different for the Thessalonians than it is for us. The principle still applies. We looked at 1 Thessalonians. Most of you were here for that. And we talked about how they were persecuted, greatly persecuted. Remember the story back in Acts? Paul goes in the town. He's reasoning with the uh, Jews in the synagogue. A few of them believe. Uh, many of the Greeks believed and, and even more. I think the wording in Acts is not a few noble women believed. And so there's this, this, this groundswell of a church began in just a quick three week period. And after just a three week period, the, uh, the, the Jews and some of the pagans hired a mob to run Paul out of town. And they weren't trying to run him out of town. They were trying to kill him. But he got out of town just in time with Silas. And, uh, we're left with this church that's begun, but this church that's persecuted. We come to the book of Second Thessalonians and we find that things have not gotten better since the writing of the first book. They've gotten worse. The church is being persecuted even harder. And the church uh, is uh, even more confused over the second coming of Christ than they were in First Thessalonians. And so Paul uh, takes... And the book really is divided into three sections here uh, where he addresses three different things, sort of. But uh, the, the, the conclusion of the book is, hey, listen, I know that you're hurting and I know that you're persecuted and I know that living the Christian life is not easy. Uh, and listen, that's even on a level that none of us uh, uh, understand most likely uh, because we just don't deal with that level of persecution today. But uh, I know that you are persecuted. I know that it's not easy. But listen, stay the course and do the work. They walked outside and looked for Jesus to come back, not because they had a sin struggle or they had a health struggle. They were waiting for Jesus to come back because they were tired of the church getting raided and people getting drug out and killed. You understand it was different. 
different reason why they wanted Jesus to come back. But nonetheless, it's not time to sit on the sidelines. It's time to get in the game and do the work. So let's jump in tonight and let's look at the three sections of the book and, and, uh, and look at it here verse by verse. Uh, number one, Paul's encouragement to endure. Paul's encouragement to endure. Chapter 1 basically can be summed up as Paul saying, hey, listen, don't lose an eternal perspective. You, uh, you're standing for Christ, and you're going to be persecuted in your stand, but God will one day judge them. Let me give you an A, B, C, and a D here. Letter A, first notice, the persecution of the church. The persecution of the church. Look back with me at verse number 4. And Paul here is going to praise them for three things, so that we ourselves glory in you. In the churches of God for your patience and faith uh, in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Endure. In verse 3, he points out their charity and, uh, and, and also talks about their faith. So their faith, their patience, their charity, and their endurance. And he says you're being persecuted, you're being uh, 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 killed, some of you, and, uh, and, and definitely, at the least, it's, it's a social construct thing where you're being ostracized, your families are disowning you, you feel, uh, you feel like you're out on an island all by yourself, and, uh, and you've been disowned, and all you can do is cling to each other. At the worst, there, were, there was uh, persecution coming from the Romans and the Greeks, and people stirring them up and saying, you all think that Jesus is king? No, Nero is king. And, and, and so there was this persecution coming in, possibly even Jewish persecution, but nonetheless, the church was being heavily persecuted. Notice letter B, the prize of their calling. The prize of their calling. Now, this wording in verse 5 is... Um, um, it's quite powerful. Look at verse 5. Which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. Worthy of heaven? Worthy of heaven? Um, this gives me the idea that when we get to heaven... There's almost going to be a parting of the Red Sea amongst those that are there. Those that suffered persecution will be viewed as more worthy than those that lived a cush Christian life. Um, I got to tell you that I greatly admire the, the Christians I read about in the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Burned at the stake, quartered behind horses, drugged through the streets, clubbed to death, skinned alive, beheaded. Some of them died a slow, painful death, and they would not give up on their faith. Stories about folks that were trapped in a church and told to spit on a cross or be shot, and they were shot because they wouldn't spit on the cross. Um, I think when we get to heaven, we'll look at that crowd and say, none of us are worthy except for the grace of God. But of all of us that are covered by the grace of God, there are those that, that suffered and get the martyr's crown, and there are those that don't. And Paul said, listen, stay the course. I know that it's tough. I know it's hard. But stay the course. You're, you're going to be labeled as worthy of the kingdom because of your tough persecution that you're enduring. Now, that's not the climate in the United States of America right now. 
but it won't take a lot for us to get there. It is very possible that in the next 50 years, Christians could be heavily persecuted for their faith. It's unpopular to be a Christian today, at least a sold-out Christian for Jesus. It's unpopular. You might get scoffed at a little bit. You might get laughed at a little bit. You might be discriminated against here or there, but we're not suffering persecution. The day may come where that, that happens. And you need to decide now that you will be willing to die for Christ. Um, you ever given that any thought? What would I do if someone put a gun to my head and said, choose Jesus or die? You ever, been, you ever thought about what you would do? I've given that thought. I think I would take the bullet. I think I would. I want to say I would. But I don't know for sure because I've not been put in that spot. How many of you with me on that? Okay. You may not know whether or not you would die for Christ, but you can choose today to live for Christ. And if you're not willing to live for Christ today, then you probably won't die for him tomorrow. So go live for him. Do his work. Learn his heartbeat. Walk worthy of your calling. Look at verse 10. What he, when he shall come to be glorified in the saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony, uh, lost my spot here, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. He's saying here that you have lived your life in a way that even in your persecution, you didn't throw in the towel and quit. And that is going to be a great encouragement to many, many, many to follow behind you. Um, I was reading with my son a few weeks back in the book of Acts. And you remember the story where they, the, the Sadducees and the councils really upset with, uh, with Peter and John. And so they drag them in. And, I mean, they're ready to kill these guys. They are really ready to kill these guys. And so Galileo, the, the statesman, the elderly statesman of, the, of the, uh, the group, I believe his name is Galileo, sends the disciples out and he says, Hey guys, let me reason with you here for a minute. If, if you remember back when, and he lists a couple of people, when they claimed to be some religious leader, and when that guy died off or quit, his following left, fell apart. If this Jesus guy is a phony, you don't need to kill these two. They're going to throw in the towel and quit, just like all the other ones. But if he is God, do you stand a chance fighting against God? And they backed way off of Peter and John because of that wise counsel uh, coming from the scribes. One of the things that tells me that Christianity is real is that it has been severely persecuted for millennia now, and it has stood the test of time. The prize of their calling. Part of the reason why it's easy to endure is because we know a couple of things. One, we know that God's going to award, reward us in heaven uh, for our labor. There is that martyr's crown the Bible has incentivized for those that, that stay true to their faith, even in the face of persecution. Uh, but let me give you letter C here and build on another reason why we can stay true. God's punishment of, on the corrupt. God's punishment on the corrupt. Paul is now going to turn his attention to say, hey, look, those people that have hurt your friends and your church family and have injured them, wounded them, or killed them, um, 
God's going to hold them accountable for that one day. Look at verse 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing that uh, with God to recompense tribulation. I love the conciseness of the King James Bible. Underline those two words if you underline your Bible. Recompense tribulation. Recompense tribulation. To them that trouble you. What's he saying? Those that are giving you tribulation, God is going to give them tribulation. And it's going to be way worse than the tribulation they're giving you. He, he continues, look at verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Notice the, the greatness of these uh, uh, phrases and the finality of them. Everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His gospel. He's saying here that those that have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ and have turned to uh, living a life devoid of Christ, they want nothing to do with Christ, that's the lifestyle they've chosen. And one day, the end result of their choice to reject Christ and live without Him is that they're going to have to live without Christ for all of eternity in a place called hell. Everlasting fire. God's going to judge them for what they're doing and the way they're living. And Paul's saying, hey, listen, you all stay the course because God's going to reward you for being true to your faith. Stay the course because God's going to punish those that persecute you. He's going to hold them accountable. I'm just going to say this tonight, that I've done a lot of studying on hell. I believe that there are levels of, of, of hotness in hell. Levels of torment in hell. And uh, even the lightest of levels in hell is beyond our comprehension in pain. And it's nothing anybody would ever want. But i got to tell you, it only gets worse from there. And those that kill Christians, those that hate God and hate His people, I believe there's a special place in hell reserved for people like that. And Paul was saying here, look, don't be discouraged. Yes, you are having to endure. You're having to show patience. You're having to wait for the Lord to return. And it's tough right now. And the church is under great assault and attack. But God will reward you for staying faithful. And God will punish those who are attacking you. Letter D, notice God's power for the Christ-like. God's power for the Christ-like. Look at verse 11 and 12 of chapter 1. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul trying to tell this church here? He's trying to say, Don't take your eyes off the cross. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. Yes, you are suffering. And no, suffering is not fun. Yes, you are being persecuted. And no one wants to sign up to be persecuted. But you are being made into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And that just doesn't mean the part where He's worshipped and glorified and and, and honored and and crowned. Yes, uh, that's part of being a Christian is that we are joint heirs with Christ in, in His glory. But also being part of a Christian is that you suffer with Him in His suffering. So don't lose that. There's a great power in that. 
There is a power in being Christ-like. You ever feel like your words aren't getting through? You ever feel like that um, you're just powerless in what you're trying to accomplish? You try to overcome a sin habit in your life and to no avail. You, you try to give the gospel to a relative and your words are just, you know, in one ear out the other. And you wonder, where is the power of God in my life? And then you get on your knees and you say, Lord, I need your power. Give me your power. And God sits back up in heaven and he's going... I'll give you my power, but I don't think you're going to like the process of how you get it. Then he sends a time of suffering in your life. Medical pain, financial loss. And you say to God, what are you doing this to me for? I don't want to suffer. He said, I thought you wanted my power. I thought you wanted my power. You want my power, then you're going to have to become like me in every way. And so as you suffer, embrace it. It's a mark of a, of, a, of a mature Christian. Is that when they suffer, they don't hate God and push away from God. They're not asking for the suffering, but they embrace the suffering. And like Paul, they can say, your grace is sufficient for me. Your grace is sufficient for me. And Paul's encouragement to endure. Number two, Paul's explanation of end-time events. Paul's explanation of end-time events. Let's jump in here, letter A. Notice the confusion about end times. The confusion about end times. Now, as we read these verses, I'm going to go ahead and explain this before reading it so you can kind of see it here with me. I get the idea that there were people running around the church giving mixed messages, contradicting Paul about what was going to happen. Um, I believe there were people running around the church saying that Christ came back and took his church and left you behind. And Paul told me to tell you that. I get that idea out of reading these verses. And you find a bunch of Christians who are scared. You find a bunch of Christians who are confused. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Now we beg you, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind. So he's trying to calm them down. Or be Troubled, neither by spirit, the way someone presents it, nor by word, the words that they say, nor by letter, what people are writing down, as from us. So it get, you get the idea here that someone has maybe even forged a letter in his name and interpreted this. Look here, as that the day of Christ is at hand. So you go back to the minor prophets, a little bit in the major prophets, you continue to find this phrase. We covered it when we covered the books. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is the coming of, the second coming of Christ, right? We know that that's not going to happen until after the rapture. The day of the Lord is when he comes back and Armageddon happens, the, the, the battle at Megiddo. But um, there were those coming and saying, Jesus came and left you. Even writing it in Paul's handwriting, uh, 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 pinning it in Paul's name, and sowing confusion all over the church and scaring these poor people. And I kind of get the idea here. Paul's not real happy about that. So he's going to write and set the record straight. Look here, uh, uh, letter B, the clarification about end times. The clarification about end times. Now, uh, if you remember back in, in 1 Thessalonians, he took a long time to talk about the Trump and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those of us which are alive remain shall be called together 
uh, into the air to, and, and, and will be with the Lord forever. Uh, and he goes into all of that in First Thessalonians. And some people came in and saw their weakness in this area of doctrine, saw their weakness in heart and their despair with the suffering. And they capitalized that and were just not nice to them. And so Paul's going to take some time and uh, we're going to read from verse 3 down through verse 12 here and kind of explains to them again some of these end time events. And in, in some cases even goes into greater detail. So I'll pause along the way and I'll kind of give you a little bit of the book of Revelation as we go. This will not be an in-depth study on end times. If you want that, we sell the um, uh, Revelation series in the bookstore. You can get that. I reference some of these passages uh, in that series. Look at verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin, that's the Antichrist, uh, uh, be revealed the son of perdition. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worship. So before the day of the Lord can come, there has to come an Antichrist who uh, uh, we find here is going to raise himself up to be worshipped. That is the abomination of desolation. That's the three and a half year period where he walks into the temple that's been rebuilt in Jerusalem. And he sets himself up and calls himself... God. Okay, so Paul uh, and you can line that up uh, with Daniel and line that up with Revelation. Again, if you want a more uh, in-depth explanation buy the series out of the bookstore. Uh, but uh, verse number uh, five, remember ye not that when I was with you, with yet uh, with you was yet with you, I told you these things. I've already explained this to you. And now, you know, what withholding that he might uh, be revealed in his time for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth uh, uh, will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. This is Satan and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all this uh, uh, deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of truth that they might be saved. These are all of this is all the humanity that uh, has uh, been up to the three and a half year uh, point in the in the tribulation and has not accepted Christ. They were given opportunity after opportunity and they refused to do it. Look at verse 11. And for this cause, God shall send uh, them strong delusions that they shall believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth. Uh, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, I've heard these two verses taught a couple of different ways. And I'm going to explain to you why I changed my mind or changed my opinion on what these verses mean. I've heard this explained that when the rapture happens, those that have heard the gospel and rejected it will not be able to get saved after the rapture. Okay, And I believe that for years, based on verses 11 and 12. Um, the other line of thinking on this, was, which, which is more in line with what I believe now, is that these verses 11 and 12 about uh, being uh, sent a strong delusion and not being able to be saved, I believe that to be when folks take the mark of the beast. When folks take the mark of the beast, they will not be able to turn back to God's grace and be saved. They will not be able to do it. What is a mark, especially going into Revelation? What is the mark? The first time we find someone being marked in Revelation are the tribulation saints, the 144,000. They're marked on their forehead with the name of God. 
And that mark equals an identity. They have been chosen, God, they've chosen God and God's chosen them. And he has marked them or identified them with himself. When folks take the mark of the beast in their right hand or in their forehead, they will be identifying themselves with Satan. They will be going down a path of no return. They will be given to strong delusions. And no matter how much you talk to them about the gospel and being saved, God's grace will not reach them at that point. They will belong to the devil. They will belong to the devil. I believe strongly that that's what verses 11 and 12 mean. You say, well, pastor, why do you believe that? Well, look at the timeline here in first, or rather, 2 Thessalonians 2. Back earlier here, you have the abomination of desolation. And I believe it's verse number four, four uh, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, if you know your Revelation timeline, you know that to be at the three and a half year period. So you have the rapture. That's Revelation four. And then you have this point right here. Uh, well, way, way uh, further on in the book of Revelation, I don't remember the chapter off the top of my head, but this is where he, three and a half years in, where he sits there. If you go back to Daniel 9, 27, it clearly says that this is at the three and a half year period. There's no denying that. And then we find verse 11 and 12 after verse 4, where they're turned over to strong delusions. So, therefore, I do not believe verses 11 and 12 have anything to do with the rapture. But he's telling them here in this passage, he's saying, listen, the day of the Lord, The second coming of Christ is not upon you because the wicked one has not even yet been revealed to the world. So settle down. It's all going to be okay. Let her see the challenge because of the end times. The challenge because of the end times. Look at verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath... Uh, uh, from the beginning, chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel, to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15. Here's the challenge. Therefore, brethren, stand fast, stand fast, and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, who, uh, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you, establish you, and in every good work, uh, uh, every good word and work. I, I don't uh, have these on the screen, but the first thing that he's challenging them to do is stand fast. Stand fast. If you want to write that down in your notes below that, you can. Sometimes in the Christian life, we run. Sometimes in the Christian life, we walk. Sometimes in the Christian life, we stand. When we're under assault, and Satan is doing to us what he did to Job, sometimes it's just all you can do to stand. You stand for the Lord. And he's saying here, you are under assault. Stand fast. Don't give in. Don't throw in the towel. Don't close the church doors. Don't give up on the Lord. You do what's right. You get up every day and you move forward. They maybe can punish you. Uh, for and take, They might take away your Bible. They might even take away your church building. They cannot take away your faith. Stand fast. And the second thing he challenges them to do is establish yourself. 
establish yourself. So establish yourself in good word. That's memorizing the scripture and good work. Do the work of God. Let's move on here. Number three, notice Paul's exhortation to the idol. Paul's exhortation to the idol. So we're going to look at, uh, uh, we're going to run through these here, A, B, and C. We're going to look at what Paul is challenging them here. He turns to a faction of the church who has, either through discouragement or just through laziness, they're not working hard. They're not working hard. They're not doing their part. They're, they're so, they've sort of become moochers. They're, uh, they're welfare cases, sort of. Letter A, notice, Christians should wait on the Lord. Christians should wait on the Lord. Look at uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. How many believe that Jesus Christ can come back today? Let me see your hand. How many of you actually think he is going to come back today? I hope so. But you know what? We've woken up thousands of days at this point in our adult lives, right? And it hasn't happened. So it's going to catch us off guard probably a little bit. Intellectually, it won't catch us off guard. But in all actuality, it probably would. It probably would. Um, We make plans as though he isn't coming back. And that's the right way to live. But we ought to be patiently waiting for the Lord. Patiently waiting for the Lord. The next time you want to engage in sin, a sinful habit, you want to waller around in sin, I want you to think this thought. What if Jesus came back while I was doing that? Right? You're watching some filth on TV or on your phone. And uh, Jesus comes back. You're talking about being ashamed in heaven? Right? You're involved in some relationship with somebody you shouldn't be. You're hanging out with them or you're intimately involved with them and Jesus comes back. Yikes. You're, uh, you're running down your boss at work in the break room and Jesus comes back. You're, uh, you know, fighting with your spouse or uh, cussing someone out or uh, yelling at the guy in front of you who just cut you off in traffic. Jesus comes back and he looks at you and says, what was that? Mm -hmm. Patiently wait on the Lord. Live every day as though, every moment as though Jesus could come back right then. Letter B. Christians should work while you wait. Christians should work while they wait. Got the wrong pronoun in there. That's my fault. Look at chapter 3, verse number 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us, so while you're waiting, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you. Hey, Paul's saying, I'm not with you. I'm in a different place. I'm facing a different set of problems. And so I'm praying for you while I'm waiting on the Lord. You pray for me. Verse 2, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil, and we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will 
the things which we command you. So in verse 5, he's going to tell them to wait. But verses 1 through 4, he says, hey, while you're waiting, get to work. Get to work. There's work to do. Look at verse, um, let's see here, look at verse number 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we uh, behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For uh, even we, uh, when we were commanded with you, uh, this we commanded you, that if any man uh, would not work, neither should he eat. So Paul is telling them here, he's saying, look, while you're waiting, don't sit on your hands. Get to work. Was it Pastor David who preached a sermon uh, back in August and he said that the pews are bolted to the floor? So you don't, you don't need to be there to hold them down. You're not going anywhere, right? Uh, the old adage is some people are sitting on the premises instead of standing on the promises. Those tracks in the track are, aren't going to pass themselves out, right? The buses aren't going to drive themselves. Maybe in 30 years they will, but we're, they're not doing that yet. We need people to drive the buses. We need people to go and reach into the communities and bring folks in, whether that's with your car or, or helping with our bus routes. The Sunday school classes aren't going to teach themselves. The role of the deacon isn't going to fill itself. Uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the trash around the building doesn't get picked up by itself. Hey, there's work to do, and we must be busy doing that work. Sir, that family that you're leading isn't going to be led with you going out every day like the disciples and looking up. I'm just waiting on the Lord. No, no, no. There's work to do, and you should work while you wait. And Paul said, look, if a man doesn't work... Neither should he eat. You're not willing to go to work. You shouldn't eat. Now, I don't get into politics. I just said that a few minutes ago. But when the politics land in the lane of the Bible, then I will go there. Many of the folks on our welfare system are capable of working. And where they're capable of working, they should not, by the Bible, get a welfare check. They need to go to work. They need to go to work. And I think that would fix a lot of problems in our country. It would fix a whole lot of problems in our country. I'll just say this here quickly, and we'll move on to the letter C and shut it down. Um, I believe in the art of self-preservation. Self-preservation. You know what that means? That means if the rug was pulled out from under you tomorrow, let's just say... Tomorrow, all the things are gone you work for all your life. That's as far as I'll take that, okay? It's all gone. And you don't have anything else. Your wife, your kids, your husband, your kids, um, your grandkids, your job, your house. Job, right? Job happens to you. And the government isn't coming along with a program to help bail you out. How many here think you could find a way to make it happen? Find a way, right? You know people, you have family, friends. You, 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 you can put your brain to work. That's called the art of self-preservation. And if a man isn't working, he shouldn't eat. Shouldn't eat. So get to work and do the work of the Lord. Do the work that you've been put here to do. Letter C. Let's, look at, let's finish it up. 
And let's talk about how Christians show wisdom toward the rebellious. Christians show wisdom toward the rebellious. Paul is, um, I love Paul's bluntness. God used Paul's tongue and Paul's thought processes to write down some pretty blunt stuff. Look down in chapter 3, verse 14. And if any man obey not our word, uh, this is man or woman, this is a person who attends the church. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed, ostracize those people who won't get in line with what this book says. That's tough. So, don't have them over to your house. Don't talk to them after church. Don't anything. I, I mean, I'm just reading the verse. Is that what it says? Am I stretching it? I don't think I'm stretching. Look at verse 15. Yet, count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So, you're not, you're not ostracizing them with a bad attitude. You're doing it so that God can work on them and establish them anew. Right? Um, to just put it plain... Why would someone be restored who has sinned if no one treats them like they sinned? If we're just going to keep treating people who do wrong all the same and let them keep doing the things they were doing, involved in the things they were involved in, and just plugging right along, well, there's no reason for them to repent, get it fixed. But when you... When you handle them the way this says, and keep a right heart, humble attitude, and readily accept them back when they repent and come, come around, well, then you've honored the Lord. So that requires wisdom. That requires wisdom, especially when it's made personal in your direction. You, com- you, you commit that to the Lord. So Paul is giving this church a whole lot to think about. And I believe he's given us a lot to think about tonight, too, hasn't he? We've got we to wait on the Lord. We've got to live our life as though he's coming back today. But we've got to work. And we've got to work and we've got to work. Because the day's coming, the night's coming, as the song says, when man's work is o'er. We've got to snatch as many souls out of hell before that happens. So let's be faithful in doing the work of the Lord. Let's stand to be dismissed this evening. Hope the book of Second Thessalonians has been a blessing to you tonight. Go home and take your outline and read over it again. And study in depth. Come up with your own outline if you want to. But uh, let the Lord speak to your heart. And uh, go home and reflect on what you've heard this evening. Let's be dismissed with a word of prayer. Look forward to Sunday morning being your place. And uh, if you, someone was missing this past Sunday and you noticed, send them a text, give them a call, shoot them an email, let them know they were missed, and let's get them here. Mark, close us in prayer if you would.